The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features ensure that you can take on any adventure. What kind of features? Well, how about the available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud? Or the standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together? How about available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone? We're always trying to think about those great spring and summer getaways, but with a car like the Hyundai Santa Fe, anywhere can be your next adventure. To learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe, go to HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Tom Fernelli. That's Bud Elliott. I'm Chip Patterson coming to you live at youtube.com slash cover three and all across the 24-7 Sports Facebook network. Thanks for joining us live. You can please smash that subscribe, smash that like, jump on in the chat. This is a mailbag episode and we are going to be very uh, interactive with it. And so if you got a question, if you got a comment, the live chat is right there. If you are listening to us on the audio platform, well, guess what? You have an instant access to participate in the mailbag episodes. You can do it by leaving us a five-star review. In that review, put your future, uh, put your mailbag question. We will add it to a future mailbag episode. Uh, gentlemen, we want to dive right in here and uh, and just just get on in the mailbag because uh, we've got the a lot coming up actually well, a little bit of business first so there have been a lot of requests for win totals the everyone's saying hey hey isn't it at that time hey, hey hey i've seen you know my favorite book has has gone in ahead and posted it that when are y'all going to get to win totals well i want to tell you uh hold your horses we will be getting to it soon in fact let's see i am pulling up the schedule right now win totals begin tentatively july 11th so go ahead and set that date Go ahead and get prepared. We will start rolling out. And then win totals will carry us. We'll have win totals every single week, again, starting July 11th, all the way through uh, to the start of the season, finishing with our win totals locks. All right, into the big old bag of mail. What if we just gaslight listeners? Like every episode, we tell them the next episode is going to be when we start win totals. (laughs) And just do that until the season starts. Just be like, hey, l- listen. If you subscribe, then uh, then then we'll do it the next episode. We we could hold our win totals until we hit a certain number of subscribers, right? Yeah. yeah. And then all of a sudden, start letting them flow. I mean, I, I don't know. It just we're we're not going to have a, a cover three work meeting here because this is a mailbag episode. <laughs> also, we're very close to fifteen thousand subs on YouTube. Okay, so you guys have not hit subscribe. Come on. Okay. All right. Let's so listen. You go and you get us to fifteen thousand. 
then we will start win totals on uh, July 11th. If you don't, Maybe. we will probably start the win totals on July 11th. <laughs> so go ahead and uh, and set that on your calendar. All right, let's uh, let's jump in with a question that has in the in the subject peak summer fill question. That's what we like around here. <laughs> it's, uh, uh, here we go. I uh, love the podcast almost as much as watching Tom's pick of the day lose. <laughs> what the hell? I got a winning record. This <laughs> was flipping between video apps and landed on the ESPN Mike Vick documentary recently. What would his NIL value be nowadays? I became a Hokies fan until I attended college and a Falcons fan because of him. Anyway, Row the boat, go Gophers. So Michael Vick, uh, just an absolute megastar, one of the most electrifying college players in the history of the modern game. If he were uh, playing right now and just as impactful culturally, just as impactful uh, on the field in terms of what he's able to do for Virginia Tech's success, what do you think Mike Vick's NIL value would be? We're talking like pre-dog stuff, right? Yes, we are. We're, we're college Vick. Yeah, we are talking like he is. He's playing for Virginia Tech, um, and we are either going into the season where he ended up leading them to the national championship game, or, or maybe we can just say it's mid-season. But what is Mike Vick's NIL value? All right, I want to. You want to? You want to go back to the Cam Newton math? Yeah. All right, so. Allegedly turning down 200K for Mississippi State for one year. You apply inflation to that, which you definitely need to do in 2022. <laughs> I'm thinking, like, you know, that's probably a million a year value for a guy like a Cam Newton. Auburn's a much more storied program than Virginia Tech is. Mike Vick literally took them to the national title game as a freshman when that team had never played for a national title or even really been to my recollection, seriously in the national title conversation. So that's basically who it is. Like you need to think about, okay, what's a team that has never really been that close to playing for a national title? Uh, Minnesota, right? Um, it's kind of Lamar Jackson in a, in a way, right? Louisville's never really been close to winning a national title. They There's an alternate stream of events that possibly could have happened in that one Lamar year. I think like if he came out and balled like that, the amount of NIL money you'd have to pay him to keep him from transferring to like a Bama or something has got to be over a million bucks. It's so program changing. That's what I was thinking too. Like I, I don't know the exact dollar amount, but I do think it would be seven figures in all likelihood. But it's also we're in an age now where five star QBs feel like you know they're easier to find because quarterbacks are being developed better as before they even reach college, but. My biggest take isn't how much Mike Vick would make, but would he even have started at Virginia Tech to begin with? Because, you know, he's from Newport News, Virginia. It was kind of like, you know, staying local, staying home, going to a program that had been having success in that area. And now Mike Vick in high school in this day and age be a highly rated five star with every SEC program after him, every top college football playoff program. They would all be recruiting him harder. And I don't know what his recruiting was like coming out of high school way back then, but I'm guessing there'd be far more interested teams now simply because it's more national than it was then at the time. So I think he might get a ton of money, and I doubt he ends up at a place like Virginia Tech to begin with. He's probably at Alabama, Georgia, Oklahoma, Ohio State, one of those schools. I 
think that you could see Mike Vick coming out of high school, still going to Virginia Tech based on Virginia Tech's hold on the 757 area at that time, based on just sort of all the talent that they were able to get to Blacksburg, where you just, there would be a familiarity play where I think it would be possible. I think seven figures is the, is the absolute correct answer. If we are hearing rumors or reports that some of these top uh, prospects from recent recruiting cycles are going for a mill a year, or if that's sort of the floor of what we're expecting, then without a doubt. My question here was, do you think we would see a player uh, of Vic's, um, of his, like, how dynamic he was, the highlight reel aspect to what he was able to do on the football field, would he be able to draw, like, the national NIL because we we look at it we think Virginia Tech we think Blacksburg it's like okay so what does that local business community look like I mean Virginia Tech's a Nike school I mean is there is there a Nike NIL play for a dynamic playmaker like Mike Vick is there a quarterback that you think that we could see uh, make that sort of national jump I mean Dr Pepper and DJU right like we've that's like one of the um, obviously his his role in Fansville is probably the reason why he fell short of expectations right <laughs> he's too busy studying lines and not the playbook <laughs> but the would, would would Mike Vick draw that national NIL not just um, not just the Blacksburg Virginia Tech community type angle I I I, I don't know. It would depend on where he's playing. But I do think that, yeah, he would have more of a, like, he would have a national appeal in that he's he's a superstar. Then, yes, he's going to get that kind of appeal. But I don't know. Like, when you look right now, there are plenty of superstars in college football, but there's not really, like, national, like, commercial appeal for any of them yet because it's still, for the most part, a regional thing. So I don't know if he would have a tremendous national appeal as far as commercial spokesperson. But I will say another fun fact here that has nothing to really do with the NIL, but, you know, Mike Vick, he was the first pick of the 2001 draft. He hasn't played in the NFL since 2015. Three years younger than Tom Brady. Really? (laughs) Because I, I was like looking at something, I was looking up to see exactly where he was from because I couldn't remember. And I just I was like, oh, wow, <laughs> he's still only 41. So it's like, I feel like if he wanted to, if Tom Brady's out there, I feel like we could get Mike Vick back out there. I'm just saying. I, the other thing people have to remember about Mike Vick is he was transformative, I, I think, at that time. You did not mm-hmm. see quarterbacks who were not in a traditional option system. Just run like that? Yeah, like making elite, elite defenses look like a high school team. Now, they ultimately lost to FSU in the Sugar Bowl because FSU had like a million guys go pro on offense. But like that defense had a lot of future pros on it, and everybody on the field looked slow. It. I'm trying to remember like the last player. It probably is Lamar Mm -hmm. at quarterback who was just, whoa, this is is different, different. Like this is not – Hey, just quarterbacks are really good. Like you're doing something we haven't really seen before. For all all you guys that are, I don't know, early twenties, that's like what like Mike Vick was for us. We're like, oh my god! Like I, I mean, I assume we're all about the same age on the show. It, it was it was five. That's why I wonder because you're right, Bryce. Young I'm using a gray increasing beard wash. Yeah. The, the, um, what's, what's the look? <laughs> Bryce Young won the Heisman Trophy as the quarterback of Alabama. And he is not carrying the like a a national. If you see him, you know his face. Mm-hmm. You're, you're right about that. It's uh, 
I still think that Vic, because of what he meant at the time, and granted, like you're right, bud, we we have seen that with Lamar. Maybe it wouldn't have been as rare, but I felt like his impact uh, was so dramatic that we could have seen him really demand not just like big numbers in the million per year, but also so be potentially be one of the few college football players that was really, really uh, nationally recognizable. I also think too, like another way to look at it is Mike Vick not only was at the time in an actual football player quarterback kind of transcendent and new and game changing. He's also game changing in the video game football in that because of what he was like, they accurately rated him in Madden and he became unfair to use when playing against your friends because there was literally no stopping him at all. He was like Bo Jackson and Tecmo. So if you look at it from that way, he's in the pantheon of video game greats because he was just that great in real life. Is it Madden 04? Is that the like there's there's one specific Madden year and if if you know you got I'm sure somebody's listening to this and screaming at their uh, their device right now but there was one year that I remember was singled out where you just had to have no Vic rules like it was just you would pick up the sticks you'd be sorting through teams and if you landed on the Falcons I'm sorry can't do it pretty sure it was year he was on the cover so let me see what year that was Michael it Vick had to be a four or five. Yeah, it was two thousand Madden two thousand four that was when Vic was yeah. on the cover nice call. Couldn't, Rolling out to his left. <laughs> so you could also put Randy Moss at defensive end one of those years and, just, <laughs> and, and play him like not as a nine technique, but like as a, I don't know, a, like an 11 tech. I don't think that's not even a thing, but you just line him up super wide. The offensive tackle could never get there because it's Randy Moss at a three point you just off the edge. <laughs> so we, we had to have like no, no receivers playing defensive end rules. <laughs> What a stellar cheat code. Randy Moss as an 11 tech. Got to remember that one. All right, let's. uh, here we go. Next question. Uh, Subject, can't wait for those over-unders. They're coming up. All right, here we go. In-depth college football podcast that touches on all aspects of the sport, players, coaches, scheme, media, recruiting, and more. Each host brings something different to the pod, and even when it's not all four of them, it's still a must-listen. My question. In 2006... Michigan and Ohio State met as the number one and number two teams in the country. We were close to getting a rematch, but instead the Florida Gators faced off against OSU and blew them out. This marks the beginning of the current run of SEC dominance where five different programs have won the national title, and as a whole, they've won 12 of the last 16 national championships. It used to be an actual talking point about which conference was best, but there's no real argument anymore, especially as they are now about to add Texas and Oklahoma. What best explains the emergence of the SEC as the dominant conference and why it has happened in the last 15 years and not before? Is it demographics? Is it strong leadership? Is it coaching? Is it CBS? Is it weakness at other top programs? I I don't think there's any one factor at play as much as I think that the SEC prioritized football because football was what, you know, like if you go to the Southeast, the college sports in general are popular. Like basketball is finally, I think is more of a recent development of the SEC as far as the fan base down there caring that much about basketball, but it's always been passionate about football. If you're on Twitter these days, you know that it's still very passionate about baseball in college too. So I think that you just kind of had a natural kind of base citizenry of alumni and just people who lived in the area who cared about college sports because for a long time 
professional sports weren't really, you know, populating the Southeast. Like if you think of how many people in that area are Braves fans, it's because growing up, most of them didn't really have any other choice and they were on television down there. So the Braves just became the team of the Southeast and there just weren't a whole lot of professional teams. So I think there's that kind of just tradition within families of rooting for colleges and rooting for college teams that I think help puts it forward. And then I think that just, you know, adding its conference championship game in the year in the SEC, I think they were just kind of ahead of the curve as far as making football a professional league at the college level and taking advantage of television and taking advantage of it and then just putting more emphasis on let's be good at this. Like it was more important, whereas like the Big Ten for a long time was still like, well, we are a group of academic institutions and we care more about, you know, growing the man. And the SEC was like, yeah, no, that's cool. We also care about winning football games, too. And that's what they prioritized. And I think that's what we've seen become the result. I, I think Tom nailed it there. Uh, I would point to shifting demographics, you know, po population uh, shifts over time. If you look at when the state of Florida really came up, it's only a couple generations after air conditioning and mosquito control mm -hmm. became two main things. Like in the 30s, you didn't really want to live in Florida, right? Because a lot of mosquitoes, no air conditioning. By the 70s, people were moving there. Uh, population shifts, uh, the, the decline of the Rust Belt, some of the you know, manufacturing jobs heading south. Uh, there's a whole lot. Like we, we could do probably an hour on this. Um, I'll also bring up that the SEC, I thought, was always passionate, but not necessarily passionate in the smartest of ways. They, they got smarter about how they invested their money. They also stopped telling on each other. Yes. Right? They were tattletailing each other. And... I think that the SEC dominance would have probably happened earlier had they stopped snitching on each other for cheating. How many of these teams were constantly on probation throughout the 80s and 90s because you know, they wanted to buy this kid and the other school got mad about it? And then Mike Slide gets in there and he's like, hey, mm -mm, we're done with that stuff, right? Like, we're done. So that's a big one. Um, obviously, the, the talent in those states – I think they've done a much better job of keeping that home for a variety of reasons that we've just discussed. But it, it feels uh, much less mom and pop now uh, than it did maybe 25 years ago. They were on the cutting edge of the championship game, as you mentioned, and in prioritizing football, you're making decisions like saying stop telling on each other. It is uh, the, the conference that has absolutely decided that if we have a successful football program, the trickle effect to the university, the trickle effect to the community, like all of these little college towns all throughout the Southeast, the boom that they see on a game day Saturday when you're able to fill up that massive stadium and have people engaged and invested, uh, that is what is able to, uh, to power that in a really, really unique way. I mean, how is the SEC has these massive programs and how many of them are in what you would consider a metropolitan area? I mean, it's very, very like being, few, able, yeah. being able to activate these college towns and these local communities and with the passion and being able to get their money out and be able to get them to buy into this. Um, it is, it is something that they have been able to, uh, to lean on in a way that I do think that other conferences are definitely a little bit behind on. Uh, I will say Tuscaloosa, Birmingham, New Orleans to Baton Rouge and Athens to Atlanta are you still have the small town college feel in each of those uh, towns, but you also have a lot of people with a lot of money mm -hmm. and New Orleans has pro teams and obviously Atlanta does too. But 
um, eh. not all the time or, or not for the, you know, the entire history of those programs. They can de- like you got a lot of really rich people that can day trip it. Yeah, mm-hmm. same thing with with College Station to Houston. To be honest, hey, do you want to, you want to dig into some numbers though that kind of go against the SEC a little bit? Yeah, sure. I mean, the SEC is the best conference in college football. Like the national title stat alone, kind of. You know, I mean, like, twelve of the last sixteen is stupid. Yeah, it's kind of hard to argue with it. But well, and like, why did it happen in two thousand six? I I would think that the the shifting demographics means that you also have what a general two thousand six means we're talking about. Uh, players that were born in 19, what? 86. Yeah. Yeah. 1986, 1988, which means that they, uh, their parents moved after air conditioning, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. But I, I did, cause I tweeted some of these numbers the other day and I just dove further in and further in. I was looking at a uh, conference records and non-conference play over the last five seasons. Now, unsurprisingly, the SEC has the best record. It's 220 and 65 for a seven, 77.2 winning percentage. The Big Ten is second at 157 and 62 for 71.7. So it's five and a half percentage points better than the second best conference. But then I was like, well, let's, let's look a little deeper. I took out FCS opponents. The SEC is still number one at 71.9%, but the Big Ten is number two at 69.3%. So the gap becomes just a lot closer than it does when you take out the FCS teams. But let's take it a step further. Let's not just remove the FCS teams. Let's remove the group of five. The SEC no longer has the best winning percentage in non-conference games over the last five seasons. The SEC is 63 and 46 for a 57.8% winning percentage. The Big Ten, 55 and 40 for a 57.9% winning percentage. So over the last five years against Power 5, Power 5, regular season, bowls, all of that, the Big Ten has a higher winning percentage than the SEC. But since we've taken it a few steps further, we need to take it a step further again. Oh, a step further. The SEC versus individual conferences. Over those five seasons. Now, this is when it gets this is fun. I'm going to read off all of these. The SEC versus the MAC, 13 and 0. The, F, the SEC versus FCS schools, 56 and 1. Versus Conference USA, 27 and 2. The Sun Belt, 26 and 3. Independence, 14 and 4. The Mountain West, 10 and 4. The American, 11 and 5. The ACC, 32 and 16. So it's two two out of every three. The Big Ten, 12 and 9. So the Big Ten has a better overall record against Power Five, but head to head, the SEC's got the advantage against the Big Ten. The Big 12, 11 and 11. The Pac 12, the SEC is three and five. Is that count bowl games? Yes, but here's where the caveat with that. Only five SEC teams have played Pac-12 teams in that time span, and it's been Auburn, AM, Ole Miss, LSU, Vandy. The Alabamas and the Georgias have not played any Pac-12 teams there, so that might skew it a little bit. Well, I mean, we know that uh, LSU and UCLA, that's the mm. most recent loss that I can think of from the last five years. And you said that you're using last five years as a sample size. I would say that the Big Ten with how it has changed its approach to football in terms of what it's going to spend on its head coaches, in terms of what it's going to spend on really like gassing up its programs, the Big Ten 
has started to invest at the highest level in a way that follows an SEC-like blueprint. So it's not surprising to see that the Big Ten is closing the gap because the Big Ten is no longer living in the world where we are academics and our football team is like our chess club is like being, our swimming and diving program. Being too good at football will cause people to think that we're stupid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's Big Ten is not on that game plan at all anymore. And so it's not surprising. And that has been, again, I, I am saying they're spending on coaches, facilities, and program investment mm-hmm. in general is, is my data point for that. Yeah, they got, they got a television network and realized what could happen. Yeah. I mean, look at, look at Mel Tucker and James Franklin's contracts <laughs> from just this past season. Anyway. All right. Let's, uh, let's take this to, Ooh, speaking of coaches, this question comes from Kyle. Big fan of the show. It's how I study up on the new college football season and follow all of the roster changes. My question for you is about new head coaches. I've been perusing a lot of the preseason and way too early top 25 rankings, of course, taking them all with a grain of salt. And I noticed that a number of programs with first-year coaches are in the rankings. Notre Dame, LSU, Florida, Oregon, USC, and Miami are frequent guests of the early rankings, sometimes as high as the top 10. My question is, which first-year coach is most likely to find success in year one and which one is most likely to disappoint? And I'm throwing out the, like, like I I was going through, I'm throwing out the, you inherited a bad situation. It's going to be tough to be able to like have high levels of success in year one, because it, it just ain't there right now. I'm not going to count those as disappointments for first year coaches. It's hard to disappoint when you're already going two and 10 every year. Right. Exactly. So for the question, what's uh, one, one to six, one that will experience success and one that will disappoint. What do we think? Um, so I guess we define success as just like exceeding the expectation set, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So like if you're, if you're win total six and you get eight, that's pretty damn good. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. If this is, if the fan base is going into the season thinking that they're going to be sweating out a bowl game and you've got that sixth win on the first week of November, and then it's just sort of jockeying for, uh, you know, how, how you do against your rivals. Like that's, that is an awesome year one. If your you know, win total is set at eight and a half and you're able to go and get a 10 win season, 10 and two, that that's awesome. Year one. I mean, most, I think that the Lincoln Riley is set up to have success. I think that Dan Lanning is set up to have success. They aren't both going to be able to experience the highest levels of success because I think that's going to be defined by winning the Pac-12. Only one of them can do it. I think USC is better poised to be able to do that. That's not to say that Dan Lanning will be my uh, not my my failure or my not experience success, but to, at the at risk of just being too easy, I don't want to overthink it. With the team that's in place, I think that Lincoln Riley is most likely uh, to be able to experience success in the first season. He makes a lot of sense. Yeah, he's on. I've got he's on my list. I think that it's a pretty obvious one. And the thing is, because I mean, he's coming into a team like it's four and eight, and I don't think USC is going to win the Pac-12 or go to the playoff or any of that year one. But I think they're going to be better than four and eight. So, <laughs> I I I think another one for me. I think Jeff Tedford is the best choice here. Because, Did you have, because he knows what 
Like he knows exactly yeah. what he's taking. There's he exactly how to he, win the Mountain West. He's got a quarterback already, so he's stepping into a good situation there. We know he's had success with quarterbacks in his career, and he's in a he's in a spot he's been plenty of times before. So there's nothing, there's no adjustment period, there's nothing. He's walking into a situation he's already kind of helped build to begin with. So when you look at Fresno and then you look in the Mountain West, I think he is the most poised to just come out the gates firing on all cylinders. And Fresno's like of the first year coaches, I would say he's got the best chance of winning his conference. Yeah, I, I think I would agree with that. I mean, there's some chance that they run the table in the Mountain West. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been doing a lot of Mountain West stuff lately. Uh, I'm going to go to the Sun Belt, though. Um, digging into Louisiana a little bit, and obviously Billy Napier left for Florida. They had some transfers out, not a ton. Uh, Michael DeSormo, I'm, I'm sure, is a you know a fine coach. But uh, Louisiana's schedule has been very light in recent years. Do you guys know that no team in the Sunbelt West has made a bowl in the last two years other than Louisiana? <laughs> That's kind of crazy. I saw that I, stat. I, 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 didn't I did not know that specifically, it. but I do know, I do remember that the Ragin' Cajuns, which have won the division the last couple of years, have also had it like wrapped up on October 22nd. Yeah, like they've been, and I do think Napier is probably a pretty good hire for Florida, so I don't want this to come off like, hey, Florida got a bunch of fool's gold. I think he's making some good hires there. But they really feasted on a bunch of bad teams. I think the SEC or the Sunbelt West will be better this year. Specifically, I think Troy and South Alabama are probably more competent than they've been. Uh, Now, Louisiana does have a real cakewalk schedule from the East, and they get both Troy and South Al, I believe, uh, in Lafayette. So there is that. Like they, I just not totally convinced that they aren't going to have a drop off. Um, Win totals eight and a half. I probably would not go over that. Yeah, I have him on my disappointment list too. So, do you think that LSU fans will be disappointed with the final record at the end of the regular season when LSU is done with Brian Kelly's first year? I don't think they should be. I think they will be right because that's the disconnect because Mm -hmm. I'm looking at it and I'm thinking like, okay, when is it reasonable to look at Brian Kelly, the turnover that that program has had, the transfers, the way that that roster is continually uh, experienced churn, not just this past off season, but even the off season before, basically since the national championship. And when should we say, okay, Brian Kelly, like if you've got this, these, these great coaching chops, we need to start seeing the results on the field. I I don't think that after the 2022 season is, is the time when we should be holding his feet to the fire with that. Yet, as you mentioned, Tom, I think that an LSU fan, after this huge, splashy Scott Woodward went and you know got the home run higher, if they come up 7-5, and five, which is a very, very possible record for LSU this year, then I think it would be disappointing. So it's funny because I had Brian Kelly on the like, disappointment side of my chart, and yet I don't think I will be disappointed. I just think that there's a very likely scenario where LSU fans are a little bit disappointed to have gone to get such a high-profile coach to see the big contract and to have the results be uh, something that'll have you fourth or fifth place in the SEC West. You know, if they don't go bowling, okay, be disappointed. Sure. But like I, I was on a, the AP Top 25 podcast today with Ralph Russo. We talked about this a little bit too. Like I think that if LSU 
goes like eight and four or like eight. If you go eight and four, you should probably be like thrilled. If you go seven and five, you should be happy. If you get to a bowl game, you should be like, all right. But I think that the long term under Kelly at LSU is much brighter than the short term is going to be. LSU to me just has such a wide variance. By the way, Tom, uh, I have a minute 34 left of the pod. I was listening to it today <laughs> on the walk to work. Um, to me, uh, there's a scenario in which LSU goes nine and three, and there's a scenario potentially in which they go, I don't know, four and eight. Uh, wow. They play, I think, nine games that I project them to be single digit spreads. So, like, basically true toss up type games. Uh, if LSU is on the good side of this list. It is probably because the defensive line pieces all really came together. Because I do think that their front four is sneakily one of the best in the country. Everybody's going to talk all about, you know, Bama's front four as, as they should. And, you know, there's a couple other ones out there that are, are really great. I'm sure Georgia won't drop off that much given they have you know, Jalen Carter, obviously. Uh, but I think LSU, there's some potential for them to just wreck some opposing offensive lines with that defensive line. And I, I have to think that the coaching upgrade of Kelly is is real. So where do you think we will stand in the succeed and disappointment uh, spectrum for the two coaches who were named to fill the uh, vacancies at Notre Dame and Oklahoma, Marcus Freeman for the Fighting Irish and Brent Venables for the Sooners? Because those like this this whole offseason has had such you know massive shakeup at the coaching landscape and a lot of them have a lot of the, these high profile jobs that have new coaches are because a coach has left. I mean, Dan Lanning at Oregon, who we mentioned earlier, Marcus Freeman at Notre Dame, Brent Venables at Oklahoma with Freeman and Venables. What do you believe that at the end of the season, those fan bases are, are, are satisfied a little bit disappointed, or do you think that they felt like they've experienced success in year one? It's, it's not easy to answer because I think I think Oklahoma part of it'll be how does USC do? I think that, you know, whether they want to admit it or not, I think USC's success or lack of will probably have a lot to do with how Oklahoma fans feel about Brent Venables first year, but I think that Oklahoma is probably the best team in the Big 12 and if you win the Big 12, obviously you're going to be yeah, that's success. But if they don't win the Big 12, I don't know how you view it because like they were very good they won 10 games last year and didn't win the conference and it was a disappointment. And are you going to give that same kind of treatment to Brent Venables if something similar happens? As far as Notre Dame is concerned, this is like, what's your goal at this point? Because this is a team that's been to the playoff twice in the last few years. It nearly got there last year again. So if you're Notre Dame, is it playoff or bust? Like if we don't reach the playoff, is it a disappointing year? Because there's no conference to win. There's nothing like that. So is it just winning 10 games? I think both are going to be just fine. I think both will be quote unquote successful. It's just, I don't know if anybody's going to be thrilled with year one. I, I think that Oklahoma has a better chance to come out happy than, uh, uh, than Notre Dame does. I'm not quite as high on Notre Dame this year as, as some are. I, I do think they're going to make miss Jack Cohn. I actually thought he was really good last year. Um, and the guy that's going to be tough to replace. Here, Tom, here's the a reason why Oklahoma's here's no. a hot take. Wisconsin downgraded when they lost Jack Cohn for Graham Mertz. Anyways, go ahead with your point. No, you're right. You're right. Uh, part of the reason why Oklahoma is going to be tied to USC is because the fans make it about it. They still email us about how Lincoln to USC is going to suck. I'm like, 
okay, you guys are, are really over this, huh? Cool. <laughs> um, it, it's, I think the expectations are higher at Oklahoma than they are at Notre Dame, though. Like, Notre, Oklahoma should win the Big 12 if, if Brent Venables can get them to play to their talent level. I think they're the most talented team in the Big 12. We'll see if they, if they come through and do it. And then Notre Dame, because it's so much of a moving target, it'll it'll be like, okay, you went nine and three. That could be successful depending on how the three looked and who the nine are. There's some tough games on this Notre yeah. Dame schedule. Like, have you guys dug into this? This is not easy. Yeah, it's, no, it's it starts hard, it ends hard. Yeah. We will um <clears throat> oh well, yeah, one last one I had on here. And again, like as we said at the top. I'm not going to throw the disappointment on Don Brown, Jim Mora, uh, Stan Drayton, like a lot of these coaches that are just taking over programs where winning a couple games is good. The fans will be disappointed, but I, I think that that's not, that's not the disappointment that we're looking for here. I do think there could be some disappointment with Don Brown though, because like the only time UMass has really been good at football in recent years, in like decades, was when Don Brown was coaching the team. So there might be some fans who are like, all right, Don Brown's coming back to fix it, and it might not be fixable. I I agree with you on that last point for sure. What is success there this year? Two wins? Three wins? Four. It's, it's, probably, oh God, no. Mar- no, it's probably margin of defeat. Yeah, it's like, are you getting killed every week? Because I mean, this is something I haven't done yet. I'm going to look up UMass's 2022 (laughs) schedule here. Uh, Let's see. They open with Tulane on the road, loss. Toledo on the road, loss. At home versus Stony Brook, winnable, maybe. And then you get at Temple. That's winnable. That's winnable. Temple's going to be bad, too. At Eastern Michigan, I would go with the Eagles there. Then you get Liberty at home, Buffalo at home. You're probably losing both of those. New Mexico State at home after a bye. Huh? Huh? And that's New Mexico State having to travel cross country. They've got their own first-year head coach, Jerry Kill, taking over right there. That's that's another one. A short road trip to UConn the week after. Huh? There's mm-hmm. That's going to be – I'm calling it now, Friday, November 4th, bottom 25 game of the century of the week, UMass at UConn. November 12th at Arkansas State, loss – November 19th at Texas A&M, coin flip. And then you finish at home against Army. That's awesome. a loss. Yeah, obviously. Yeah. There's two there are enough bottom of the barrel teams here to where you could, like, they're not going to be Toledo, but no. Stony Brook, Temple, UMass, New Mexico State, and I guess Texas Arkansas A&M. State. <laughs> yeah. No, no, listen, Arkansas State. That's we we just gave Butch Jones a new contract extension. Is he really going to go out there and lose to UMass? Uh, dude, it, I, wouldn't I, it be I, hilarious? Uh, did you guys? I know it's it's not the sexiest podcast. Did you listen to the Arkansas State uh, summer school? I have not no. yet. I did not come away from that feeling good about Arkansas State this year. Like the plan is to run James Blackman more. James Blackman is built like Chip. I don't know if that's a viable like strategy to, to run him, you know, in all that contact. And there's a reason why I didn't play. <laughs> like, and remember, their have... quarterback transferred to um, Texas State. Do they have a turnover trash can though? Love brick by brick. That's right, brick by five star hearts. Uh, all right. Speaking of head coaches, coming up on the other side, which current college football head coach would make the best and the worst? father-in-law we'll get into that and more next 
the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right. This next question is a it's a good one. It's from a, a, a longtime listener, a bar, who's who uses the uh, the handle Barnaby Strange Neck. Uh, favorite overall podcast, not just among college football. Good to have Chip back from prison. With Father's Day upon us, my question is this: Which current college football head coaches would make the best or worst father-in-laws? And then he sort of adds his own take on this. Good father-in-law says. Uh, call me dad spoils your kids without going overboard knocks back a couple of beers with you while watching football on Thanksgiving bad father-in-law insists on being called Mr. Johnson never (laughs) offers to babysit but isn't shy about telling you how to raise your children looks at you like you're a degenerate when you pour yourself a third glass of wine at Thanksgiving dinner (laughs) keep up the great work and happy father's day I feel like somebody's working out some issues here with this question, <laughs> Mr. Johnson. <laughs> All right, so what's, what's my father-in-law is? definitely definitely thought it was a degenerate. By the way, like when when I first started dating, dating my wife, like I you know be over be over at their house, and I I, yeah, I think he just thought I was like some, some blogger, but I would always like be working you know early in the morning. He's like, you you kind of work a lot, don't you? But he yeah. didn't understand the job, so therefore yeah, nobody, like, correct. No, nobody right. in that a, nobody in that generation understands what we do for a living. Correct. <laughs> right. It it wasn't really until uh, it wasn't really until I started popping up on CBS Sports HQ and traveling that I felt like there was any legitimacy given to what I was doing as a profession. I needed some sort of tangible evidence that, that people could understand. <laughs> But that's uh, anyway. That's 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 my own uh, experience. What do we think, college football head coaches? Who who would be the best, and uh, and and who would be the worst father-in-law? See, I I kind of had different parameters. That's I, cool. explain. I, I don't want it to be like I, I happily take all the things that our questioner described. I would just rather have a father-in-law who's not overbearing. Like just kind of he's the, like he's around. You see him on holidays and you see him at other times, but you know it's not it's not constant. It's not all that time. So I chose Nick Saban simply because he's rich and he only cares about football. So he's never really going to be just popping by the house for dinner or anything. Like you'll never see him except on holidays. And I feel like that is the ideal family member. <laughs> I would say uh, in that same vein of like somebody chill, uh, Chadwell is super chill at, at Coastal. Oh, right? it's just yeah. Jamie uh, Chadwell is a very, very good. Did you guys have Bielema? I think Bielema would be a good father-in-law to have. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Lane Kiffin. 
<laughs> I feel like Lane would be a good friend to have. I don't know if I'd want him to be my father-in-law. Does I, that make I, sense? I don't want to say worst, but I definitely had him on my, I like slid him over to the, I would not want. And he's, he's very kind, but boy, we saw what happens when he gets agitated. Jimbo Fisher pass. I don't want to have, listen, he does offer um, some great, you know, West Virginia delicacies like dropping peanuts in the Coke bottle. Okay. <laughs> he does you know, give you some insight into something that I don't always have great experience on, but in general, uh, give me a pass on, on Jimbo Fisher as the father-in-law also. And I'm really, I'm, I'm really not trying to pile on here, but hard pass on Brian Harson. Okay. No, <laughs> no. I have Harson on my yes list. What? Yeah. Because look, okay, explain. if the going gets tough, he's going to stay together to the family. He's going to take, take me to Mexico. Like I, <laughs> in, in tough times, I want a vacation to Mexico. All right. So I, I have Brian Harson on my yes list. I had here's somebody I had on my worst list, and I use the term worst loosely. I have Dabo. Oh, yeah. And it's, and it's nothing, it's just like I I fear he would make me go to church with the family every weekend. And you know, I was I was raised Catholic and I'm but I'm I'm more of the Catholic where it's like before I die, I will confess to my sins, but I'm not planning to go to church every weekend. So I, I want to avoid that in my father in law. <laughs> I I would say Dave Doran, no. Just because um, I don't know, just the vibe, I guess. Well, um, so here's what you would get with Dave: is it, he'd be hard to read. You know, you'd have those like meals, and you'd like crack a joke, and he might give you a chuckle, and you're like, "Did did that land? I can't tell." He oh, didn't give me Dino enough Babers. of a reaction. Dino Babers, absolutely yes. Like, mm-hmm. I think you want your father-in-law to be someone who has some other interests aside from football. And like, Dino likes movies and music, and just seems like a normal person outside of football dino giving a speech at the wedding reception being like the hall is electric um jordan by the way suggesting sam Pittman. yeah for sure yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. oh yeah for yeah, sure for yeah sure. yeah no doubt no doubt question about that i'm in on james franklin i think that'd be a good one yeah. um i am a lot of these guys have daughters by the way dino franklin i don't know if chadwell does uh, Bielema. Out on Kirk Ferentz. Nothing yeah. against him. I mean, it's just if, if we gotta if we gotta sort you one way or the other. Are you are you out on Scott Frost? Yes. yes. And it out on PJ. Out. out on PJ Fleck. Yeah, I, just, little, I couldn't handle that. Little bit I couldn't handle all like, that. PJ energy. Fleck is coming over to my house and like trying to like get me to do different projects that. I may want to do eventually, but aren't real high on my list to do right now. And I, I like, I don't need the motivational stuff. Too much. See, I, talk. I was thinking you would get that with Dabo too. That there would be, there would be oh, too energetic. Uh, mm-hmm. or, or, and there would just be like a themed activity, right? You yeah, know, like, like we, we would have, have a, a chant and a saying like, like all right, like this Thanksgiving, our, our theme is Paul, you know, it's, it stands for uh, parents all win. Okay. This is what we're doing. <laughs> <laughs> I think PJ Fleck and Dabo would both both go like really, really far in terms of uh, of of making it like not formal, but at least like there'd be a lot of definition 
I just meaning to everything. Yeah, I don't want to. I don't want a father-in-law, which I feel like I need to be on my best behavior around anytime they're in. Like I don't want to have to be like straight. You know what I mean? Suck in the gut and tighten up a little bit. I want it to be more loose and relaxed. So any coach that fits that criteria would go in the best list. Where do you put Whittingham on this? I would be scared of him. Yeah, but I'd respect him. I would respect him. <laughs> so I've mentioned this a lot. I've I don't know why this sticks in my head, but. There was the a viral video that a Utah student took of a fire drill in a university cafeteria and everyone is like fire alarm has gone off. Everyone's leaving and Kyle Whittingham just stays at his seat and eats his lunch while he's on the phone with the recruit. <laughs> <laughs> I can't leave the building for the fire drill. This is the 14 minutes that I've allocated for eating my lunch and doing this recruiting call. And the fire would be like creeping towards his office and he would see and be like, nope, we're going to go this direction. I'm going to go burn this stuff. I'm not messing with that guy. <laughs> um, and then uh, I would give me pass on Cristobal. A little too intense. A little too intense. Yeah. Yeah. And then on the opposite side, uh, all, all about Scott Satterfield. Now, I understand there's some the he's too honest. Remember, he was a little bit too honest and maybe maybe not. He shows up and tells you he likes your wife over boyfriend better. It's like, you're okay. You're not Scott. But (laughs) (laughs) very few people were Scott. Yeah, if if, if Scott Satterfield is consistently comparing me to uh, other boyfriends, then, yeah, maybe maybe a hard pass. on Scott's a partner now. Did you know that? Uh, Down South Soldier has a hilarious comment. What? Oh, no, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I would say, like, no, I'm not one way or the other. Oh, Brent Venable's too intense. Pass. Yes. Um, not one way or the other on Matt Campbell. Seems uh, other coaches love Matt Campbell. Yeah, I think I've heard a lot of other coaches say that he's just like a good guy to talk to. So maybe maybe I would lean a little bit harder there. Pass on Gundy, by the way. Sorry. I think Matt Campbell would just chill out and watch. Yeah, pass on Harbaugh. Yeah. We're talking about a father-in-law here. This is an intimate relationship. I think he's intense. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very intense. I don't want to have to. I will say, like, I don't. I've been around him more just at some of these recruiting camps and just in, in, in person talking to him. I used to think it was an act, and I really don't think it is. That's what I've heard as well. Like he genuinely loves coaching football mm-hmm. to probably an unhealthy extent. I mean, like we're, we're down there at the FIU camp, right? And it was uh, Ole Miss staff and uh, Harbaugh and Michigan staff and Norvell and uh, and FSU staff. And Harbaugh is like coaching up the quarterbacks there. Even the ones that are like five, six and are definitely going pro in something other than sports, just really loves coaching and instructing. And, and uh, but I, I don't know if there's the off switch. I 100 percent agree, and I, I like that you mentioned that because Dad, we're just we're just trying to watch Game of Thrones. Like <laughs> he's or the second that you break out any kind of activity, he would be all in and then like mm-hmm. all about it. And even after your kids are ready to move on, he's like grabbing your kids like, no, you finish the job because that is what we do. We don't quit early. We finish the job. And it's like, but the meal's ready. The meal can wait. <laughs> and he drinks all your milk. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's the thing. I don't want to have milk with dinner every week. Come on, man. Um, from the group of five ranks, give me all of Jeff Trailer. 
Yeah, I feel like that would be fun. That'd be a whole lot of fun. Um, and let's see. I could, I think that that's those are the ones that that really stood out to me. Any any others that you want to propose? I have no like somebody in the commenter question or asked about Ryan Day. I have no idea. I don't know Ryan Day well enough as far as personality wise to have any idea whether he'd be a good father in law or not. Do you think it's a no on Chip Kelly? Yes. I agree. I you know what? No. I think Chip Kelly would be a great father in law because I don't think Chip Kelly would want to be have anything to do with us either. I think Chip would just be like, nah, I'll you know, I'll come at Christmas. <laughs> See you next year. That's fair. Uh Jordan is nominating uh, Butch Jones for the no column. Yeah. Paranoid <laughs> you'd be plotting his death to get some inheritance. <laughs> we, we have some, we have some uh, like PTSD Tennessee fans running this show, man. This is specifically Jordan, obviously. Luke, Luke Fickle, a little bit too intense. Mm. But how, like Luke Fickle has a million kids, so he yeah. pro- you probably wouldn't see him all that much. Yeah, it's he true. Time to all the families. It's true. Like he's he got oh, no. On the contrary, that means that he's he gets to be the homing beacon, and that when there is a family event, you better be there. You oh. know, when you got like the really big family, and they do like, hey, it's this Saturday. It's like, well, what about another? It's like, no, this is the only Saturday that all of the children and all of the families are all going to be able to make it. So you better make it. I think Shiano's a yes. That's just because I personally like know him a little bit and like talk to him. Um, I think he, like he's off the field. I think he's pretty chill. I could see that. I mean, I definitely wouldn't want to get on his bad side. No, that's for sure. I, I would agree. <laughs> if I went to Tom Allen's house for dinner with the family, would he make us all say something we love about the the rest of each other? Yes. Tom Allen okay. is the ultimate Thanksgiving coach for sure. Then I'm then I'm out on Tom Allen. Okay. All right. Uh, let's let's do one more before we get on out of here. Uh, this question comes from Wiley. Hey guys, just wanted to let y'all know you make every day at work 10 times better with all the episodes y'all drop. My question is, how do you feel SEC teams such as Florida and the others will recruit once Texas and Oklahoma join? Will it make it much harder for the schools in the SEC? Well, Oklahoma is not going to be making it more difficult for other SEC teams to recruit for the most part. Um, they will probably get somewhat of a bump from joining the SEC, right? Uh, in terms of recruiting SEC states or recruiting kids that are going to get bashed over the head with the narrative that, hey, you need to go SEC, you need to go SEC. So we are SEC now is what they'll say. However, Oklahoma's territory, being in the state of Oklahoma, is not particularly uh, desired recruiting territory. It's not a, a fertile recruiting ground compared to most of the other SEC states. I think Texas will get somewhat of a similar bump as well. Uh, and if anything, I think Oklahoma and Texas coming in, because Oklahoma's primary recruiting state is not Oklahoma, but rather Texas, uh, I think that it could make it to where uh, your Texas kids are more likely to stay in Texas or go to Oklahoma than they are now because they don't have to leave their hometowns or you know, home geographic area uh, to play in the SEC. I think that um, the Oklahoma and Texas are going to get more from being in Florida and Georgia and Louisiana than the current schools are going to get from being in Texas and Oklahoma. 
Alabama, LSU have been Arkansas have been in Texas. Like that's that's already been a big part of their footprint and a big part of their blueprint. But Oklahoma and Texas don't always get the access into Florida that they're now going to be able to get. So in that sense, at by minus not minuscule, but I do think it will make it somewhat harder for the schools that are currently in the SEC. But that's only because I'm operating on a zero sum game of a, and recruiting is not totally zero sum. But I do think that to the questioner that the current um, SEC uh, schools will not receive a boost in recruiting the same way that Oklahoma and Texas will receive a boost in recruiting. Right, I, I agree. Okay, Tom, that it? You agree? That, yeah, no, nothing. I have nothing to add. <laughs> Sweet. You can follow him on Twitter at Tom Fernelli. You can follow him at Bud Elliott 3 You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. See y'all.